So uh, three weeks ago, we began a discussion on the topic of parenting. And we began that discussion with a look at leadership. And we defined leadership as leadership is influence. And so if we explore the idea of influence, what we come to recognize that all of us are leaders. All of us in one way or another, we have influence. And we can use that influence for good. We can use that influence for bad. And so it's not hard then to make the connection that if leadership is influence, then that certainly is true of a parent. A parent has influence in the lives of the children that they raise. And so we've been working from this premise, this series, when it comes to leadership is influence, there's no debate that parents were intended by God, intended by God to be leaders of their families, whose primary responsibility is to use their influence for good, namely or specifically for the spiritual health of their children. I mean, certainly God is interested in the interest that you have for your children and that your children have. And God loves to see your children thrive in like academics or sports or the arts. But at the end of the day, the thing that's most important to God is that a parent have influence in the spiritual health and well-being of their child. So in this series, we've been exploring the, the metaphor of thermostats and thermometers that parents are thermostats. They actually set the temperature, the spiritual temperature of their home and children are thermometers. They respond to that. They, they read the room, the, the priorities, the values, the behaviors that a, that a parent's setting as an example in a home and then they respond to that. And so we've been looking at this idea that God's design for the family was for parents to be thermostats. And today we wanna have one last discussion around that topic. So every first Thursday of the month, I host a question and answer session here at Cibola Creek. We started early part of this year. Um, first Thursday of the month, I'll ask, I'll, I'll invite anybody and everybody who wants to come and ask questions about faith and about life and how they intersect. And it was originally designed as a discussion around um, message series that I have just completed. People can come in and ask questions about that series, but what's happened is it's evolved over, over the year. And now it's just an opportunity to ask any and every question. And we get all kinds of questions now, which I absolutely love. Uh, we get questions that are very personal in nature, something that somebody's wrestling with down inside themselves. And we get um, spiritual questions discussions about God and Jesus and the Bible and faith. We, we get philosophical questions. We get theological questions. We get questions about like current events and contemporary society and all that's happening there and how we as Christians try to make sense of that and, and find our part in it. But it's been interesting the last probably four or five months that we've been hosting this Q&A, we've had at least one person raised the question concerning a child in their life, typically a teenager, 20-something or 30-something and beyond, a, an adult child in their life who's wandered really far away from God. 
or isn't interested in spiritual things anymore like perhaps they were raised. They've made some choices and they've pursued some lifestyles that are very contrary to um, their parents' wishes for them or the way that their parents have raised them and would have wanted them to, to go through life. And, and while the stories have all been different and the names have all been different, the one thing that's been common in all of these questions is the heartache. Parents tearing up while asking the question, Paul, help me understand how to navigate the very delicate and difficult discussions of faith with a child who's no longer interested in that stuff. And so today we want to talk about that because we recognize that it's a very real part of many people's lives. A child, regardless of age, who's just not interested in God, in Jesus, in the Bible, in faith. And we're going to talk a little bit about you know, what, what contributes to that and more importantly, how we might navigate that. And so some of you are sitting here right now or you're watching online and um, this is very real for you. You're there right now. And some of you, you're like, well, that's not really happened to our family or my children are too young. We haven't really encountered anything like that. So, you know, I would just encourage you to listen because it may happen in your journey as a parent. Or certainly you have friends who are walking that very difficult path and you could be a tremendous support and encourage to them in some of the challenges that they may be facing. So this is a, this is a message that I think is of value to everybody. Now let's just start with some of the basics. Here's some things that I know about every parent in this room. You love your child. You love your child with all of your heart. Regardless of the drama they might have created, regardless of how far they may be from the faith that you value, regardless of some of the chaos and havoc that their choices have have created in your lives as a family, you love your child. And secondly, you believe they're good people. Maybe other people looking at your child right now with some of the choices that they make, some of the trouble they're in, they might not understand or appreciate that. But as a mother and a father, you raised that child and you know they're good people. You know their heart, you know their capabilities, you know the capacity that they have to do some really wonderful things. They may not be choosing to do them right now, but you believe that they're good people. And the third thing is this, you just want the best for them. That's all you want. You want the best for your child because you love them. And that's sometimes where the tension is that you just happen to think, now listen, you just happen to think that faith in God, a relationship with Jesus, an understanding of the Bible is best for your child. Your faith informs you to believe that. And so your heart's breaking for a child who's not interested in God and not interested in faith and has no, no relationship with Jesus at all. Because they're not having it right now. And that's what makes it so hard for you. Your child's disinterested 
or maybe there's strong disagreement about your faith. Maybe your child is just like outright oppositional to your faith and their faith, and they're flaunting their divergent beliefs and their behaviors, and it's creating a lot of upheaval in your family or in your relationship with them as a parent. And so some of you are sitting there thinking, Paul, could you help me to navigate my child's disinterest in spiritual things in about 35 minutes? And I'm just gonna be honest with you and I'm gonna tell you, I can't. I can't. Why? Because it's really complicated. The whole discussion of faith in the heart of a human being is really, really complicated. There's layers, there's variables, there's complexities, there's influences that are beyond your control that factor into your child's spiritual interest. Sometimes this has nothing to do with the kind of parent you were. There's just so many other influences that have a part in how a child sees their world, sees themselves, sees you, sees life. And it seems like the older your children get, the more opportunity there is for these other influences to have an impact on their life. It can be friends, it can be teachers, coaches, employers, complete strangers. I mean, here's just a list of some of the other things that end up playing havoc in the soul of a child. I mean, just look at this list. That's just some of them. Mental health issues, some kind of trauma that they've experienced, maybe grief over the loss of a family member that has deeply wrecked their soul. Maybe they've been on the receiving end of bullying and it's caused them to really mistrust God. Drugs, alcohol, addictions of all kinds play havoc on a soul. Um, it could be things like just the profound influence of social media has shaped their mind and their understanding of the world. I mean, the list is long, and this, again, just some of them. And the older your children get, here's what we need to accept, and this is hard. The older your children get, the less and less the influence of your concern has on their choices about what to believe and how to behave. It doesn't matter how concerned you are. The older they get, that has less and less influence in their life. Does that make sense? So let's talk about what's going on here. I'm gonna take care of like some of the, the dynamics of it up at the front part of the message here. And then we'll get to the biblical and the spiritual dimensions as we get to the end. So what's the problems? Well, sometimes it's just different spiritual beliefs. You are a Christ follower. They declare themselves to be an atheist. You're just different perspectives, different ideas. Sometimes your children just have a different passion or devotion. You're really sold out for your faith in Jesus Christ and they're, well, not so much. But you think they should be as passionate and as devoted to it as you are. That's how you raise them. But they're, they're not for a host of reasons. Maybe they've chosen a completely different lifestyle than you would affirm or that you would support. And it's breaking your heart and you're thinking, how did we get here? Or maybe their beliefs and their behavior is actually disrupting the nature of your home and your family. And it's become really problematic. 
And here's what's happening. It hurts your heart. You see them making choices and you seem to conclude there's some really harmful consequences if they continue down this path and that creates concern and it hurts your heart. Some of you who are committed to your faith and you have an understanding of the scriptures, you you know this thing called God's discipline. That at times, a loving heavenly father will move in the life of one of his children in a very hard way as an act of discipline to bring them back to himself. And you shudder to think of what kind of pain your child might experience if God seems to move in the direction of disciplining them. And then a parent's heart just aches at the thought of a child who refuses to place their faith in Jesus Christ as their savior and what that might mean for eternity. So your heart gets hurt. But it doesn't only hurt your heart, it frustrates your faith. I've talked to so many parents and they're literally frustrated, not just with their child, they're frustrated with God. Like why isn't God doing something about this? Why isn't God answering my prayers? I get this one all the time. Why won't God answer my prayers for my child who's wandered far from him? It seems like, wouldn't God want that? And I've been asking, some of you have been asking for years. My only response would be, because God is doing something in your life that's different from what he's up to in the life of your child. God's at work in your life, in the life of your child in a way that's very different in what he's trying to accomplish in your heart. But it's frustrating. So what do we do? Well, again, it's complicated. Let me share with you a couple of factors why this is so complicated. Like what do we do? Well, you have to understand that different ages require different approaches. How you deal with this in the life of like an eight-year-old is gonna be very different in how you might approach it with an 18-year-old. And that's still different again when you talk about it with a 28-year-old. Because different phases of life and different experiences of maturity influence the whole discussion of faith in the first place. Sometimes it's just a matter of maturity, understanding, and experience. And sometimes, as your children get older, your influence in their life changes. I mean, there'll always be your child. There'll always be that dynamic of a relationship with them, but they are on a different journey than you are, and they may make very different conclusions. I mean, I'm not a pediatrician, so what I'm about to show you is not scientific, all right? All right? Okay. it's fairly well-informed. There's these major movements of life, zero to three, five to nine, 10 to 12. I mean, this whole area right here is full of all sorts of upheaval that's happening in the life of a child from hormones to just an understanding of themselves and the world. Then we put them behind the wheel of a car and they start knowing a whole new autonomy and a sense of independence. And then you send them off to college or the service or you send them out the door to the start of a new career. Sometimes they get married and they start raising a family. And so these are all sorts of things, different levels of intelligence, 
different levels of maturity, different levels of life experience. They have all different sense of responsibility and a whole different set of understanding about their self-sufficiency or their independence. So that's why this can be a complicated discussion depending on where you might be with the age of your child. Make sense? Secondly, different personalities require different approaches. Maybe parents, you all understand this. No two children are the same. I have two sons. They were raised by the same mother and father in the same house. They went to exactly the same schools. They attended the same church. They couldn't be more different. How is that possible? Because God wired both of my boys differently and they wired your children. Different personalities respond to faith discussions differently. Extroverts and introverts, they deal with faith differently. Here's, here's my observation. Of four children, four types of children, for whom the discussion of faith can be particularly challenging. You ready? Again, this is like 35 years of being a pastor. Highly intellectual children, precocious children, they just look at life differently than other kids their age. They process information much quicker than most children their age. And because of their intelligence, they wrestle with some of the questions and some of the dilemmas of faith differently than other children. Other children, and Jesus affirmed this, children are generally very trusting of whatever adults might tell them. You tell me about this Jesus, you tell me about this God, I believe it. Other children like, what? Walked on water? Come on. People don't do that. What? Snakes talking? Yeah, come on, mom. I'm not buying it. And I'm only five. All right? Those are differences of ages, difference of personality. So anytime you start talking about the supernatural, you start talking about miracles, you start talking about all these unrealistic occurrences that happen in the Bible, some of your children are scratching their head going, yeah really, you want me to believe that? Because of how they're wired intellectually. Another child that tends to wrestle a lot with is the strong-willed child. This is the child, ready? Here's kind of the basic definition. They just don't like anybody telling them anything to do. Anybody raising a strong-willed child? It really isn't about you. It's about anybody. It's about teachers. It's about coaches. It's about friends. It's about grandparents. It's about policemen. Nobody's going to tell them what to do. They just wired for this very strong will. They are very determinative about how they're going to live their life. And this starts at the earliest of age. And so when you step back and you look at some of the discussions about faith and God in the Bible, what does it sound like? It sounds like somebody telling them what to do. Here's how I'm, I want you to live your life. And they just go, what? I don't care what your name is, God. I'm not going to do it. So children who tend to be very strong-willed, they tend to wrestle with questions about faith and God. Third kind of child that tends to wrestle a lot with discussions of faith is the hurting child or the child who's been hurt. And there's a host of events that can deeply hurt a child. At the top of the list is divorce. 
It can be bullying. It can be grief. It can be some other factor that's created some trauma in their soul. And so they step back and they go, how am I going to trust a God who let that sort of thing happen to me? It can be a disease. It can be injury. It could be abuse. It could be abandonment. All sorts of things can play havoc on the tender soul of a child that makes it really hard for them to understand or accept many of the conclusions that faith invites them to. And then finally, the confused child. This is the child who steps back and they look at their world and they see, they see their parents say one thing, but their parents live a very different way. They tend to behave this way on Sunday, but come Sunday afternoon and the rest of the week, their parents behave in a very different way. And the child goes, I'm confused. They're confused by hypocrisy. You say God's so important and yet you don't live that way, then why would I? They can look at things happening in their world and they ask questions maybe not as concisely as some adults, but they ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? They see the news, they watch social media, they see hunger and homelessness and hurt, and they go, I thought God was able to make everything right and beautiful, and yet I don't see it. And so they, they're confused, and this leaves them with a lot of doubts about the discussion of faith. So we got different ages require different approaches, different personalities, and then finally we have to recognize different situations require different approaches of how we might go about the discussion of faith. Uh, step families, lots of interesting dynamics there. Some children, they wrestle with mental health issues or physical challenges, disease and injury. And then they just have this host of friends and partners and spouses who have this enormous influence in their life. They don't always live their life with the beliefs or the behaviors that you would prefer for them. This is the situation and why it's so hard for me to give you some sort of an answer of knowing how to navigate this. Does that make sense? I hear this all the time, and I get it, I do. Charlotte and I, we've been praying parents. We, we understand a lot of what's going on in the life of children and parents. And I, I, I hear people, I prayed for my children all the time, and yet it's like, they, it's like they're not even close to what I've prayed for. And so what's your conclusion? Your conclusion, well, evidently it doesn't work. Well, let me be the first to tell you, perhaps that's not the way that prayer was intended to work. Prayer's not just getting what you want from God. Prayer is more about aligning yourself to what God's will is rather than getting what you want or getting answers to your questions. Sometimes God is inviting you in the consistent practice of prayer for a child to stick with trusting him for what he's up to in the life of your child. But you give up. And as we'll see here in a few minutes, you're cutting yourself out of the most important help that you need. 
If I pray for my children all the time, keep praying for your child in faith. And then we get this one a lot. Paul, I took my children to church every stinking Sunday. That's usually how they say it, stinking Sunday. We were there all the time. If the lights were on, I had my children at church. Okay, let's do some math. You ready? That didn't sound very convincing. Let's do some math. Between the ages of zero and 18, a child will attend church 936 times. That's if they're there every week. And we know from facts and figures that most children typically only show up two Sundays of the month because that's when mom and dad show up. So in their first 18 years of life, they will attend church 936 times for an hour. And that's not counting the time that they're walking down the hallways and getting registered. So that hour is actually like 40 minutes. 936 hours, you ready? Here it is. Of the other 157,000 hours of those same 18 years. Did you get that? Your children spend much more time with you than they do with us. Then you toss in there all the time of those other 16,000 hours that they spend watching television, movies, social media, friends, other relatives, other adults. And the church really can't keep up with that. That's an influence in what your child decides about faith. See, the question we have to ask, and we've been asking throughout this series, is other than the hour that they spend at church, what are they witnessing the other 167 hours of the week from you? And the example that you're setting, the values that you're honoring, the priorities that you're establishing and directing your life by, what, what are they seeing those other hours. So, let me, let me give you what I'd call four biblical principles that can help parents with a child who's far from God. You interested? Four biblical principles to help parents with a child who's far from God. I got, I got about 10 minutes. I think we can do this. You ready? First thing you have to understand is that the Bible is not an exhaustive manual on parenting. It's not why it was written. Now, there are principles that certainly pertain to parenting specifically, but that's not why the Bible was composed. So then how do we learn what a parent's supposed to do in the life of a child who's far from God? Well, what we have to do is we have to step back and not look at it only from the perspective of what does a parent do in the life of a child? Really what we're asking is, what is a Christ follower supposed to do when navigating relationships with people who are far from God? Does that make sense? 
step back and say, what can I learn from the truth of the scriptures about dealing with anybody who doesn't accept my faith, doesn't buy my Jesus, doesn't believe the Bible that is so important to me? How do I deal with them? It's just that in this particular discussion, them happens to be one of your sons or your daughters. Does that make sense? So let me give you four overarching principles that I think are critical to this discussion. The first one is this, love. This is not you just feeling a love for your child. This is you demonstrating a love for your child. Regardless of how much they've broken your heart, regardless of how much upheaval they create in your family, they still need to see the compelling argument of Jesus by love. Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples by your what? Your proficiency with the scriptures? Nope. Your wonderful theological arguments about the danger that they're in? Nope. They will know that you're my people by your love. Folks, somewhere along in your spiritual journey, you have to develop the capacity to start looking at your life and your world through the eyes of Jesus. Look at this passage of scripture. Mark chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the good news of the gospel, the kingdom, and healing diseases and sickness. I love this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw people, his heart hurt for them. He could see the brokenness that was leading them to where they were. If you and I could begin to see our world and see each other and those around us like Jesus did, we'd see things differently. We would hear things differently and we would feel things differently. So it's really, really important that a parent continue to hold a heart of love for their child regardless of how much their child may be breaking their heart. See, here's the problem with Christians, and I speak as one. Christians, if we're not careful, we can look at our world, we can look at others, and we see them as bad. We see them as what they're doing as wrong. And what that creates in us is a spirit of judgment that simply leads to condemnation. But when we step back and we start looking at people like Jesus saw them in their pain, in their brokenness, then what we do is we don't see them in a spirit of condemnation. Now we see them in a spirit of compassion because we understand that sin has disrupted their thinking, their life, their heart, and it's created complications for them. And sometimes that's exactly, or all the time, that's exactly what's happening in the life of your child who's wandered far from God. Keep a heart of compassion for your child, regardless of where they may have wandered off to. Let's make sure they always have a home full of love to come back to. Make sense? 
All right, so just by way of reminder, arguing, demeaning them, dismissing them, even punishing them when it comes to discussions of faith is never going to result in spiritual receptivity. At some point, you have to separate your child's lifestyle from how your choice, their choices actually reflect on you as a parent. Stop making it about you. Be concerned in a heart of compassion for them. All right. Now, this might make some of you really uncomfortable. It's not my intent. It's just that sometimes these are hard things to hear. What we have to recognize is what the Bible teaches us about the human condition. The human condition is this. It's been contaminated by the impact of sin. And that sin has disrupted our hearts, our minds, our lives. So every time you look at your friend, your spouse, your child, who's wandered far from God, the compassion is around the dramatic impact that sin has had on them that's led them so far from the one person who can make all the difference in their life. So out of a sense of compassion, you see them in their brokenness and your heart continues to be concerned for them. Spiritual resistance of any kind, any kind of spiritual rejection is just evidence of spiritual blindness and brokenness brokenness that's having an impact on the life of that person. All right, that's why the second one's so important. You ready? Prayer. Never underestimate the power of prayer for your child who's far from God. Stick with it every single day, sometimes multiple times during the day because we have to believe and we have to accept that ultimately the spiritual work that takes place inside of a person's soul is completely beyond us. There's no amount of skill. There's no amount of thinking. There's no amount of money that all of us could put together that will ever do the work that only God can do in a human soul. That's why prayer is so important. The soul of a child is God and God's alone. And only he can open the eyes of faith in their heart to understand his place in their life. I mean, look at this. This is a passage of scripture we should all pay attention to. Second Corinthians chapter four, the apostle Paul writes, the God, small g, that's not in your Bible. I put that there to help you. The God of this age, he's talking about Satan and his enormous influence on our culture and our society that your children are impacted by. The God of this age, look at this. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Spiritual blindness in a human being is a very real thing. That's why a prayer like the one the apostle Paul prays for the church at Ephesus is so important. He says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray, watch this. I pray that the eyes of your what? Your what? The heart that's been blinded. 
the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The prayer of a parent, the prayer of a grandparent, the prayer of a godparent for the child who's wandered far away from God is a work that only God can do. So I stay in a conversation with him asking that God would open the eyes of this child because they've been blinded by the devastation of sin in one way or another. Does that make sense? Never underestimate the power of prayer for your child. Thirdly, respect. Respect. That doesn't mean you have to affirm and accept every choice that your child has made. What I'm asking you to do is follow biblical guidelines of respecting another human being, wherever they might be in their journey. Respecting their questions, respecting their doubts, respecting the journey they've been on, even respecting the choices they've made. Not your choices for you, but choices they've made. Just showing some respect can go a long way to earning yourself the rapport that they might still include you in the discussion of some of the questions and doubts that they're wrestling with. But folks, the minute we start arguing and demeaning and dismissing them as a way of penalizing them for the choices they've made, we just drive them farther and further away from the God that we hope they find. Does that make sense? Don't drive your children further away. Give them the kind of loving support and the kind of respect that keeps the lines of communications open or at least the possibility. But I'm not just saying this, this is actually biblical. Look at this, the apostle Paul and Peter said, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who engages you in a conversation for the hope that you have. So first of all, show hope. Show them what your faith is doing in your life. But do this with what? Gentleness and respect. Treat them with respect even though they believe very differently than you do. Look at this. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. This is people outside of the faith of Jesus Christ. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, let's just use that word instead of argument. Let your conversation be always full of grace. How often? Oh, not, not occasionally when everything's even tempered. No, always full of grace. That's the example you set. That's the temperature that you dial in. Always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Look at this. Flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. If you find the conversation moving toward an argument, just stop. Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone 
able to teach, not resentful. Opponents, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth so they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. There's a little bit more that I wanted to share with you about that, but in recent time. So let's go to the last one. Oh, I think that was it. Look at that. Oh, trust. That's right. Okay. Man. Getting caught up here. Folks, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you have to trust God with the life of your child. I know that's hard. <laughs> so often as parents, we think we could do so much better than God could, but we really can't. At some point, we really do have to live our faith and we have to hold our children open with open, up with open hands and say, God, I need your help and I have to trust you with my child. Look at this passage of scripture. I love this passage of scripture. Book of Psalms. Speaking of God, you saw my unformed body. This is the moment of conception. God sees the infant being shaped. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to pass. What is he saying? That the moment your child was conceived, in fact, in eternity prior to that, the moment your child was conceived, God started to write a story. And he knows how the story's gonna end and none of us do. God is up to writing a narrative that's unfolding in the life of your child. And it may be very different than the one you would choose for your child. But at some point, you have to understand and accept and trust God writes a better story than you do. And there's nothing about God's story that isn't gonna come to pass. So we can talk about faith or we can actually live by faith. And part of that is trusting God with your child, even when he writes a story that we might not choose for them. So I'll leave you with this. We have four books in the Bible called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just four different records of the story of the life of Jesus as told by these four gentlemen. Most of them were either eyewitnesses or they interviewed eyewitnesses to put the stories together. It's interesting, if you step back and you look at Jesus, it's interesting to see where he directed his love. And he tells some stories called parables that help us understand his heart and then at times he just interacts with people and it teaches us a little bit about the heart of Jesus. And here's what I've learned from looking at Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus loves prodigals. Jesus loves people who've wandered far away from him, like the son in Luke chapter 15. He loves them. Another thing that I've learned is that Jesus loves lost sheep. 
who are blind and confused and stray and far away. Jesus loves the child who's lost. I look at Thomas and I learn that Jesus loves doubters, people who don't believe everything that the scriptures teach. Maybe like your child, Jesus loves doubters. I see Jesus interact with lepers and the demon-possessed and prostitutes, people whose lives are very broken. And what I conclude is that Jesus loves outcast. People who don't fit in all the categories of society then seem to be disenfranchised and far away. Jesus loves the outcast. I look at the final minutes of Jesus before he died hanging next to a criminal who he offers the opportunity to spend eternity in paradise with him. And I make the conclusion that Jesus loves lawbreakers. Maybe your child's broken a few laws and maybe they're serving some time. I wanna remind you that Jesus loves your child. Do you understand that? It's hard for you to imagine, but what I want us to understand is Jesus loves your son, Jesus loves your daughter more than you do. He's been writing a story of their life since the moment they were conceived. My encouragement to you to trust him with that story. Keep loving your son or daughter. Keep praying for them. Keep respecting the journey that they're on and the choices they've made. And keep trusting God with the life of your child. Make sense? Thanks for listening. Let me ask you to stand together. Let me pray for you. If you're new to Cibolo Creek, I'd love the opportunity to meet you. I'll be available here my left following the service, please come on up and introduce yourself. Father, I pray for every parent in this room or online right now whose heart's breaking and whose faith is frustrated because the child that they love so much, who they see so much promise and potential in, has wandered far, far away from you made choices that are literally breaking their heart and at times demolishing a family. God, I pray in your unique way you would comfort them, that you would infuse into their soul a courage and a confidence to trust you with the life of their child. I pray for them on the journey that they're on you would make your presence known and felt that they aren't on this alone, but that you walk with them because you as a loving heavenly father love prodigals. Thank you for that in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, gang, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.